0: Thank you for listening to the Church podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. All right, so today, my title screen getting thrown up there for me. The Lord gave me this title a little while back. He just gave me this phrase, and He actually gave it to me the way it looks on this screen. And Josh did a perfect uh, way to bring out what was in my head. And I got the phrase, but God. But God. And as you'll notice on his screen that he, Godly, you're talented. And he built this screen off of my rambling this morning. I was trying to iron clothes and feed people and I was rambling on the phone to give him what was in my brain and he got it. But God. And as you see on one side of that phrase, it's life. There's stuff growing, it's bright. And on the other side of that phrase, it's desolate. It's death. There's no life. There's no color. There's no nothing to be excited about. And that's exactly how I've seen it in my mind. Because to be totally honest with you, as a man of faith and on my faith journey with the Holy Spirit, wanting to believe for the miraculous, I've always hated, but. I I didn't, personally, I don't understand how you could have faith, pray the prayer of faith and then say, but. To me, it's totally contradicting what you just prayed. So in my years of walking with the Holy Spirit, I've avoided that word. Like I've almost fully taken it out of my vocabulary because how can I pray a prayer of faith if I follow it up with a but? In other words, everything I just said, I'm really not convinced of it because I'm about to say but. In other words, something is going to follow that exposes the fact that I really don't believe in what I just told you or what I just prayed. But through this season me and my wife have went through, I've discovered another facet of But God. One that is full of life and sunshine and can shine in on your darkness and on your shame and on your bitterness and on your brokenness and on your ashes. It can give beauty because before I avoided it, but now I understand there's two parts to it. But during this time of understanding what the one full of life is, I got even more mad about the one that's not full of life. And I'm going to talk about both of them this morning. But before I do that, I'm going to pray. And then I also got something really important to share with you all. <laughs> so, I've had some boys at my house and they found out I was preaching. So, immediately they started spitting out jokes for the last 24 hours. And every time they would come to me with a joke, I'd be like, that didn't make the cut. So, these two jokes made the cut. What did the nut say when it was chasing the other nut? I'm a cashew. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was solid. That was way better than your response. <laughs> what did the ocean say to the tourist? Nothing. It just waved. <laughs> Boy, that's a knee slapper right there. Whoo! Golly, we're gonna pray for joy in this house. <laughs> oh goodness, let's let's pray. What do y'all say? Let's pray. Come on, it's come to that. Father, we thank you for your presence in this house. Holy Spirit, bring this word out the exact way you want it to be heard and received. Let it be your words and not my own, Father, that you may receive all the glory that today we can lay crowns at your feet for your revelation and that you are truly good enough to not only give us your word, but then you give us the spirit to understand your word. And Father, we thank you that Holy Spirit, you are reigning so strongly in this house today that we will understand your word on new facets today that will unlock new revelation and new light to follow you more diligently. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody go to uh, 2 Chronicles. If you've ever been around my preaching much, I I just jump around a lot. So I'm going to give you some places you can write them down. We're going to read a few things, but just 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 15, and 16. I'm not going to read all of them. That's just where I'm coming out of. And uh, uh, just a few months ago, the Holy Spirit put me on this story of King Asa. I'd actually never read the story before, so I'm diving into it really deep. And I'll give you a little backdrop, and I'm going to pull out like three scriptures that we'll read just for time's sake. But you got King Asa, and he took over from, because I'm going to butcher the guy's name, Abijah, King Abijah. He was the one that reigned in Judah after King Abijah. Asa comes in, and he does what many of us do. So when we get saved, we get born again, our spirit comes to life we tend to start pulling down high things. In other words, anything that is obvious that would be contrary to God and His His deity and and who He is. As believers, when we're born again, we we immediately inherit something from the Holy Spirit to begin to pull down things that would receive worship over God. We're good about those things. They're the obvious things, the things that are just uh, battling for God's worship in our life. We tend to gravitate because of the Holy Spirit in us to begin to remove those things. And that's what Asa did. He took over Judah and when he did there's all these idols that they had made these altars and they were worshiping a lot of different gods. Well Asa immediately begins to remove all of these idols. And as he's removing these idols, man, he's doing work, he's doing work and then the man of God shows up. The prophet shows up, the seer shows up to speak to Asa. And he said, "I want to give you a word of encouragement. You're doing phenomenal you are doing the lord's work you are doing his will continue on and in the middle of this 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 rampage against other guys he's going he gets more encouraged who, who's been in that position for? You're doing things for the Lord, you get some encouragement, and you get more encouragement, you turn up the zeal. You turn up the fire and the passion for what you're applying yourself to. So Asa turns it up another notch, and he starts going after it even harder. And it says, not only did he go get the high places up to this point, then he starts getting the little stuff, everything. He starts cleaning Judah's house. And then we find ourselves in the story of a man of God to this point that is literally doing and changing the face of a nation. And this is where we're going to pick up. Go to chapter 16 and we're going to read verses 7 through 9. A little bit more backstory. Asa comes up against the king, the king of Israel. He's got this really beast mode army. It's massive. And he gets ready to come and destroy the city of Judah and come against King Asa. Well, when he does, King Asa kind of gets a little frazzled by it because of the numbers and how far they were outnumbered, he gets a little frazzled by it. And so Asa does this thing that many of us in our life, in our spiritual walks, would actually deem as pretty much a a worthy response. Asa goes, gets help. He actually goes to the nation next to him. And we know in the Bible that nations, you can also say their mindsets when you think about them in the spiritual realm. But Asa goes to the nation next door, and hollers at the king because he's got a really big army. He's got a big following. He's got a lot of good things going for him. So Asa goes reaches out when he is standing in an impossible situation. The odds are stacked against him in unmeasurable ways. And he goes and reaches out for help to another king that's got a great army. And he's got all the things in place that can help him win. And he goes, gets him, and because he makes this treaty with the other nation, immediately the king of Israel backs off. He don't even come fighting. So in Ace's mind, I did the right thing. I went and got some help from somebody who was really structured, somebody who had everything in order, had their house in order, and had the numbers. I just needed the numbers. I didn't need to go to war. I just needed the numbers. I needed a favorable perspective. I needed the odds to turn around and get in my favor. And now... We're not going to fight. Because up to this point, for like 36 years, Asa's country was in no war. Peace was the only thing they knew. There was no fighting. There was no strife. There was only peace in the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, an army gets ready to come, and he goes and gets help. And then we pick up in verse 7 through 9, and it says, at that time, Hanani, the seer, the prophet, came to him Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians in Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered you into their hand? He had already knew. How God would respond if he didn't get an outside help. Verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to... Okay, there's a phrase while I read this. There's a phrase that's been in my spirit and it's the vulnerability of God. We don't like to call God vulnerable, but the more I read the Word of God, I actually believe God makes Himself vulnerable to us. You actually see it in the Garden of Eden, because when He created the Garden of Eden, He put all this beautiful fruit in it, and He said, I'm going to walk with you in the cool of the day, and then He stuck a tree in it that gave Him an option to deny Him and go a different way. A God so worthy and a deity so mighty with vulnerability, so unmeasurable, He just exposed himself to get chosen over I, I don't know about y'all but that's a that's a level of vulnerability we don't think about with God but God said I want to walk with you in the cool of the day and I'm actually going to give you a choice to pick something over me to really give you the option to love me realistically because if there's no option you can't realistically love somebody if you only have one option it's not love it's just no other option but he gave him an option and because he did so, it actually shows God's nature to be vulnerable with his creation. Because he made all of these things and the only thing he gave free will and choice was humans. And because of it, he opened himself up to pain and hurt because God is love and true love can experience pain. And because God is true love, God can experience pain because of the choices we make. And then in verse 9, you just, I don't know, put yourself in this story. It it wrecks me. Because God said, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. I, I just see God in heaven. He's looking about the earth. He said, I'm looking throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on your behalf. On the behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore, from now on you shall have wars. What? Oh man. What? Work it, man. The army was coming against him and he had had peace for 36 years. And the moment the odds weren't in his favor, he went to an outside help. And because of it, in his logical thinking, this is how I keep From being destroyed, generations being destroyed, my country being destroyed, my nation being destroyed. So he went to an outside hell. And because of his lack of loyalty was the very reason his kingdom would never see peace again. When we try to stack the odds by our logical thinking, we actually set the generations to come up to never rest because of our decisions. I read this. Me and Mike were talking about it on the porch today. I read this scripture. Do you all know who Melchizedek is? Melchizedek was the king That he was pretty much Jesus. He showed up. He had no mother. He had no father. He showed up on the scene. He was Jesus' manifest. And Abraham did this legit thing where he paid a tithe to Melchizedek. He didn't have to, but he chose to. And Levi... Everybody say Levi was seven generations away from Abraham. He wasn't born. Seven generations away. And the Scripture says... Because Melchizedek paid tithes, Levi and all of his descendants paid tithes to Melchizedek. Y'all didn't catch that. Because I paid tithes, because I was obedient to Jesus, seven generations from now will be accounted as they were obedient to Jesus. They won't start in a deficit. We have so much belief in the fallen state of Adam instead of the resurrected state of Jesus that we immediately believe our children have to be born into dysfunction. But I'll be honest with you. If Jesus restored everything through the cross and I've got seven, eight, ten, a hundred generations in my loins, then I can believe the decisions I'll make will affect them. I could actually make a decision, Kenny that before they even take their first breath, it would be accounted to them as righteousness. Instead of being timid by the odds being stacked against us, if we find ourselves being loyal, in other words, I remove plan B. We would rather God come lay the blueprint out than me actually have to trust Him. Because I need some kind of answer before I'm willing to give you that much trust. I talked about this Tuesday night. We don't say these kind of things because we don't want to seem as terrible Christians. But we act like we're saying them. In other words, I'm not going to say I don't believe God enough to remove all my options, but I just have lots of options. I will literally reach out to banks. I will reach out to other people. I will go and grab and go and grab and go and grab. And God's saying, it's like I could see into God's heart and His vulnerability to say, I'm literally looking about the earth to find somebody that would remove plan B, Cody. I don't need you to have it together. I just need you to get all the other plans out of the way. I need you to get in a position where you so care about the seed that's within you and how great of an impact you can have on many generations that you would be willing to sacrifice hard enough that you get your options out of the way. That you would make the sacrifice so your seed could be accounted as righteousness before they ever take a breath. What would it be like when but God becomes holy again? But there's a picture up there of the lifeless version. The version I've heard the majority of my life. We'll quote Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God is more than able to save us, but if He doesn't. But what I've learned is there's two. Because I've heard so many people make make that statement when they've got tons of options. But God can also be a greenhouse to harbor unbelief. Holy Spirit, help me. One says, I'm doing this because I have nothing else. I'm saying, but God, because no matter how this shifts, I'm not going to shift. I'm not going to change stance. I'm not going to change position. I'm literally saying, I don't have anything else, Kenny. I don't have anybody to call. I've removed the number. I've turned the phone off. I'm not going to go anywhere else. I'm not going to pick any other route. I've removed everything because I am so in love with God. I am going to be one that is found loyal. Because I see God in his vulnerability say, God, Asa had the greatest opportunity. And because he didn't recognize the opportunity, he got outside help. And God said, because of it, you'll spend the rest of your life in war. How many of us in our homes, war is more consistent than peace? It's not because you don't have the answers. It's because you got too many options. You've made too many options for yourself. Because I can tell you, I have money in my bank account right now. I own a company. I'm doing great. My house is well intact. I have a beautiful home. I have a beautiful wife. I have lots of things that I can become dependent on. But I'm not. It's not that the options aren't there. It's that I don't use the options. Because in America, it's not like Africa. In Africa, they don't have a plan B because they don't have anything. But in America, you can live in a place where you don't choose the options. You can literally position your heart to where you become so reliant on God, He can look upon your life and say, That's the one, the loyal one. My eyes have been looking for. And Shadrach, me, and Abiniel go, Abendigo. Go to Daniel three sixteen through eighteen. Help me, Holy Spirit. We all know this story. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, easy for you to say. Why they have such a long names? Couldn't nobody be like Dan or Tom? Uh, King Tom. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> Just my brain. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar built this, this, this idol for the nation of Babylon. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been put over the region of Babylon. Well, he builds this thing up. He says, y'all are all going to bow down and worship it when the harp plays and the, all that other stuff plays. What Whatever they had back then. The banjo. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so they begin to play this music, and a nation bows, and three Hebrew boys stay standing. So some tattletales come running to the king and say, hey, there's some Hebrew boys out there ain't doing what you said to do. So they go get them and bring them up. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I'm about to play the music again and bow. And they just kind of cut him off. This is the holy but. (laughs) I'm childish. I'm so sorry. I'll get over it. This is the holy but God. The Hebrew boy said, don't worry about it, King. Don't play it for round two. We've already made our mind up. We don't have another choice. I've always heard this preached or said you got a sickness. Father, heal this sickness in the name of Jesus. But Father, bring comfort to the family. Bring peace to this house, Lord. Touch everybody that's about. I get that prayer. Don't, Don't be mad at me, okay? I'm trying to get us to stop harboring unbelief and applying it like I really trust God. Because if you don't know you have unbelief, I'm going to show you what unbelief does in a minute. It is toxic to the greatest degree. And I'm going to show you why. Not because it would rob you of a miracle, but because it would make you unresponsive to God. God, in the name of Jesus, get out. But Lord, bring comfort to the family, God. Make provisions for them. (laughs) Help me, Holy Spirit. One is I don't have plan B. The other is a greenhouse for you to stop trusting God. It puts statements of unbelief in a greenhouse and then you protect them so that they can grow until before you know it, you actually have no reliance on the Father. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look at verse 16 through 18 in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and He will deliver us from your hand. That's not a statement of contradiction what I'm about to read to you. He said, He is able and He is going to deliver us from your hand. But if not, And then look at the statement he makes. In other words, but if not, I'm letting you know I don't have a plan B. Even if nothing happens i do not going to change my mind. I'm not going to go reach out to another nation. I'm not going to reach out to somebody more secure. I'm not going to reach out to somebody who's got all their ducks in a row. I don't care how dysfunctional you are. God wants to take your dysfunction and turn it into something holy and beautiful. But quit calling the person down the road. Go pray. Go seek the Father. Because He wants to get the glory for your redemption. He wants to position yourself that you can see God be God. He said, I am looking for somebody that I can show myself how awesome I am. I'm really awesome. And I wish somebody would take the time to remove all options so I could be as awesome as I really am. That's the message version. It's message translation. (laughs) But if not, let it be known to you. O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we bow. Just in case you didn't know. I don't have another option. <laughs> just in case you didn't know, this is it. You can play it nine more times, five more times. Just in case you didn't know, this is it. No other options. This is the but God that's okay to have. I found this out when we lost Adeline in April. After the second day, I couldn't be in the house anymore. I was just, I didn't know where I needed to be. Felt like in the middle of the ocean. I didn't know where I needed to be. But I walked out to our wood shop, and I was just, I don't even remember what I was doing. I was just doing something. I I was just trying. And my mom walked up to me, and she laid her hand on my back. And she said, Father, that he would know you greater during this time than ever before. And then she walked out of the room. And I stood there over whatever I was doing, and I just wept until I didn't have any more tears in my body. But something changed. I had no other option. And because of it, I believed God like I never believed Him before. I prayed. I fasted. I paced this entire sanctuary for weeks on end when we got that first diagnosis. To no travail. And when I stood in that shop, I had to learn what it meant to say, but God. I have been preaching God heals and my baby didn't get healed. But Satan, you can play it one more time. And I'm still going to preach that if you stand in faith and you lay hands on your child, they'll be healed. I don't have a plan B. The Word of God is my plan A, and I don't pick a plan B. So in other words, when me and my wife had to mourn, and we're still mourning, I'm not going to change God's narrative to match mine. I'm not going to change my narrative to please Satan and let another nation come to find how I view God. But I got myself so seated and so rooted and so grounded in brokenness. You don't have to be whole. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to have it all together. Just get all the options out of the way. And so I'll tell you today, God can heal a baby that's diagnosed with trisomy 13. Not because I experienced it, because God said it's true. I won't change the narrative To match mine. I'll change my narrative to match his. And it may take a minute Michael. But I promise you. There's going to be another day. When somebody's baby gets diagnosed with trisomy 13. I'm going to lay hands with my wife on their womb. And the baby is going to come back to life. And they'll get to see the fruit of it. But can I tell you. If you're ever going to be a person. Positioned to save a nation. You're going to have to get it within yourself. That I don't have another option. It goes on all categories. Your finances, your health, your, your, the status of your family, your marriage, and every facet. But I, can I tell you, I get in so many positions with people that are dealing with broken situations, and they want to reach out to everyone. They want to reach out to every other nation. But they won't reach out to God. How do you... Uh, stay with me, voice. How do you expect a God-sized miracle if you don't actually go to God? I love that man. I love that man. I love my Father. I have great godly men in my life. But there's times where I don't go to you. Because I love you, but I don't need y'all. Because I have the Holy Spirit. I love your influence in my life. Let me rephrase that. I do need y'all. I truly do need y'all. But there's a moment where he don't have what I need. And them two went through the loss of a baby. And they man, they helped me and Taylor so much. But there was a moment that came where I didn't need to talk to him anymore. I didn't need to talk to anybody else anymore. Cody and Story poured into our life. There just come that moment when I, I, I don't need to talk to you anymore. I've got to get in this place where all my options are gone. And I sat there. It took a minute. It took a minute. It took a minute for the Holy Ghost to keep highlighting my options until every one of them was gone. And then all of a sudden, I was so broken, but I was well prepared for what was about to happen. And all of a sudden, all unbelief began to get extracted out of me, and but God became a reality that I don't have another option. He's just all I've got. But I want to talk to you also about the but God that harbors unbelief. The one that I've seen in so many conversations that, hey, will you come pray for my sick loved one? And I'll say a prayer and as soon as I get done praying, we're making plans for you to continue to die to the sickness. This is a fine line. No, it's not a fine line. It's not a fine line. The reality is our faith, it's an opportunity just like Asa. There is a place our faith can get to that swallows up and devours all forms of sickness. But if we keep trying to to cope with things that are happening and change the narrative, we'll never get there. We'll never get to experience God being strong on our behalf if we don't realize just because it didn't work this time doesn't mean I changed the Word of God to meet me where I'm at. I take my brokenness, I take it to the Father, and I heal, and I grow, and I grow in faith. But God though. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to read 12 and 13 in the passion translation. This is the other one we have to deal with. But God, get Oh my God, if you if you just tend to be a person that reaches out to everybody. Don't you need spiritual counsel? Is that coming off okay? You need spiritual counsel. I, I have a lot of people that pour into my life. You you gotta have that. You gotta have a spiritual father. If you haven't come under a spiritual father, you are so much more vulnerable than somebody who has. So get a spiritual father. But if you tend to be a person that gets more counseling than you do revelation from the Holy Spirit, everything needs to stop. And you need to get burrowed in the Word of God and in prayer until something changes. That's wisdom. I don't have any other way to explain that. But you got too many options. And your desire for a kingdom of heaven that is greater than the kingdoms of this world will never come to pass until you know the God of the kingdom. And if you know everybody else's advice more than the currency of the Holy Spirit, you can't live in that kind of kingdom. And Kenny, you actually can just do away with the options. You, you can literally just remove them. It's okay that we're blessed and prosperous. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, On this side of God, the thing that has become a greenhouse for harboring and growing unbelief. A lot of times I've looked at unbelief as the tragedy of unbelief is we don't get to live in the miraculous. That's not the tragedy of unbelief. The tragedy of unbelief is not that the healing comes. The tragedy of unbelief is not that I see the manifestation of miracles. That's not the tragedy. The tragedy is Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. So search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you. For it will lead you astray, and here it is, and make you unresponsive to the living God. Can I pray for a second? I'm going to preach some more. Father, let that set in the heart of every person in this room. The reality that even though we go to church, we could stop being responsive to you. Jesus' name. So unbelief can cause me to be unresponsive to God. And Jesus said, I only see, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what I hear the Father saying. So a miracle is actually a response. Not having the miracle is not the tragedy. The fact that I could be in God's presence and no longer respond to His presence. Presence aligns everything. Where are all our kids at? Are all the kids out of the room? Where at? Where are they? In the gym? Bliss, come here. Griffin, come here. Uh, Kenny, come here. I'm sorry. I just need to use you as an example. And I love you so much. All your NSU swag. Okay. Stand like this. I use this example with the boys, but I hear the Holy Spirit saying again. All right, Bliss, stand right here. And Kenny, come up here. Stand right here. Griffin is my spirit man. I'm born again. He's alive. He is the fullness of God in me. If it is finished and Jesus and the Father come to live within me, it's my spirit man. The fullness of God is in you the moment you become born again. This is my mind, my soul. The seed of my emotions, my imagination. Everything that tends to make me me is bliss. And Kenny is my body. The fullness of God is in me. Because I, my mind and my imagination is not convinced of God's goodness, it can't come in alignment that what is in my spirit get out of my body. The only thing we are called to steward is our mind. He said, be ye transformed by the renewed mind. If the fullness of God lives in me, something must be causing my mind to be out of alignment that that can't get out of that. And I keep running into situations where people need God to get out of me, but my mind is harboring unbelief. So because of it, the Godhead is trapped on my interior world and nobody can see But when you pray, God, search my heart, and then you repent. We like God to search our heart, but we don't like the answers he brings up. But when he brings up an answer, and he brings up an answer that is keeping the Godhead on the inside of you, when you pray and repent, you line up. And then the Godhead, the line of Judah that will devour every sickness and darkness, it gets from here and it goes out your emotions and your imagination and the way you think and it comes out of your body. And then when it gets to your body, the only responsibility you have is don't be a coward. The only thing we have to do is be bold, Branson. The only thing I have to do is account it worthy that Jesus would pay such a price that I I am sacrificing myself, my dignity, and my pride that the Godhead may get out of my body and the world may know He's good. But because of unbelief. And you know what I've learned about God's grace? Sometimes it's like a ricochet the Spirit will just release something out of the body. See, that's how sometimes we get excited. (laughs) Boy, did you hear I I handled that conversation? Holy Spirit. (laughs) While the whole time your imagination is so far from God's presence and who He created you to be, that's why you can't be consistent. You'll never be consistent until you correctly steward your mind, your imagination. The Spirit of God wants to bring something out of you that is so holy, that is so divine, that you can't get credit for. But you know what What? what happens when that drive-by happens? You can take credit for a drive-by. Because you can be doing all your crap. And all your lousy devotion and all your lack of persistence in the Holy Ghost and reading and fasting and praying and that drive-by comes out, comes out of that body and you can take pride in it. But when a mind gets seated in righteousness, humility follows it. And then all of heaven can flow out and you'll sit before the Father and weep to make sure you don't get any credit. Go sit down. I love you so much. Thank you, Griffin. You made an awesome spirit. But I've always wondered, how can the Godhead be in you and you act like that? How can the Godhead be in you and you respond like that? How can the Godhead be in you and you have no answer for that problem? Because unbelief, your mind is the greenhouse. And the moment you let one seed of unbelief get in your greenhouse, it'll continue to grow. And then before you know it, you don't trust Him. You don't trust His Word. You don't trust what He's spoken. You have all these little things within you that will cause you to be like Asa. Then you have no holy but God. Because the moment unbelief turns in and fills your greenhouse, your mind, your imagination, you will begin to align options. Because you can't trust God. And let me tell you, the only alignment that will ever take place in your life is within the presence of God. But if you aren't so in love with the presence of God, you'll never get in a place where your imagination can match the Spirit of God. Like Asa, We would rather crawl into bed with what we were created to defeat than we would leave ourselves vulnerable enough to have to trust God. Did you know that was one of the things God was disappointed with Asa about? It's because he actually wanted to give him Syria. He wanted to make him ruler over Syria and turn Syria into Judah. But instead he went and got in bed with the one he was created to conquer because I didn't trust God to come through for me. We do it all the time. We will lay down in dysfunction because we are scared to death God won't come in on our behalf. We will lay down in the very thing God created us to conquer so that the next generation wouldn't have to. We'll lay down right in bed with it, make a treaty with it. Just because I'm scared to death, I'm outnumbered. But if you have any unbelief in your heart, it makes you unresponsive to God. Every miracle I've ever seen, every person I've ever prayed to, prayed for, every word of knowledge I've ever given was a response. It's just a response. It's just a response to God. It's not some gifting, it's just a response. We're, we're obsessed with gifting because we don't want to respond. We would rather, we'd rather have a gift than I would be so open and vulnerable and trusting of God that I could be consistent, holy, full of life. I would rather God give me a gift that can trump my lack of character than me exposing myself to God and repenting that I might be made anew and my spirit, soul, and body aligned. I'll tell you one thing that won't be found of me. Come on. I've got a lot of stuff wrong. I get, God almighty. I feel like some days I don't have nothing together, Branson. But you know what was crazy is David didn't have a lot together. He got he got an affair with Bathsheba and got her husband killed. And there's this scripture in Psalms. He comes back and weeks before the Lord and he said, Lord. Don't take your presence from me or your Holy Spirit. Saul did the same idiotic move, but he just wanted the prophet to touch his life to save his image. A man of God that is in love with presence, a woman of God that's in love with presence, would rather be exposed, vulnerable, and repent than they ever would save an image to make you like me better. When you start trying to save an image, you can't save a kingdom. (laughs) That'll do it. That's good. Bliss, you want to come play for me, bro? Many many people. I like the way Bill Johnson says it. Bill Johnson made a statement. He said, "Many people will repent enough to make heaven, but never repent enough to see the kingdom." Repentance, just changing the way you think when God exposes a dysfunctional way of thinking. But I'll tell you, a man of repentance often looks more messy than a man convicted about saving his image. Does that make sense? A man of true repentance looks a lot more messy than a man trying to create a good image. That sense. That's why me and Josh have always had this statement. We don't mind messy. We just like Real. Because I've learned I'd rather serve with messy people because they tend to win the world. (laughs) They write about them. They just tend to write about them because they make such an impact. But the men that totally inwardly decayed for a lack of character all while trying to present a holy image never lasted. They never changed anybody. They never brought anybody closer to the kingdom of heaven. They just get exposed by life and different things. And so don't don't be scared of your, your messy. But fall so in love with God and His presence that you become a man or woman of repentance. That you stop living with this random Misfire that comes out of God in you every now and then while your brain and your mind and your emotions are so jacked up all the time. I think today is a day it's not going to be something that God immediately delivers you of, but He's going to give you the seed to start being so in love with His presence that it said, Brothers and sisters, search your heart that there might not be any unbelief. You actually have to do the searching. So it's going to take a conscious effort to get before the presence of God and search your own heart with the Holy Ghost so that you don't harbor any unbelief. Because, Kenny, let me tell you what I learned during our tragedy. The worst thing I could ever imagine is being unresponsive to God. There's no other way to break that down. More than I would rather see every person in the world healed, I want to be responsive to God's presence because then people will get healed. I used to be so obsessed with signs, wonders, and miracles that I could actually begin to cultivate a life of unresponsiveness to God's presence and see a few of those miracles pop out because of just God's presence actually... The Godhead being in me because of my born-again position. And every once in a while, someone would get healed. Nothing consistent. Nothing consistent. Uh, have an attitude one day and not the next. And, and being inconsistent. Like Friday, we were at work, and I had to text Michael and Josh because I felt so bad. We had one thing happen at work, and I, I got very aggravated. So much so that like, I couldn't fully finish what I needed to do. I got to go back and do it Monday. But like I got so frustrated. And I was in here this morning. I was talking to Pastor. He, we were been passing in prayer. And I told him, I said, I, I've never felt this sick over something. And then he prayed on me because it was, I've gotten to the place where I so don't want anything to get those things out of alignment that I won't hold on to them very long. I, I won't let them slide anymore. Because I know the only thing this world needs is him and he's in there so I'm going to remove all unbelief I'm going to remove all my other options I'm going to fall in love with his presence and I'm going to get aligned by it and then the scripture that says his yoke is easy and his burden is light can actually be my reality instead of the world's burdens burdening me more than I can bear I'll be in such a position of alignment that the father can flow out consistently so if you'd like to come pray that's fine I don't really know what the altar call would be sorry uh, but if you're not sh- if, if it hasn't become a culture in your life to go before the Father search your heart for unbelief let, there, there's a There's an opportunity this morning to get that in you, to get it deep in you. And then, if if up to this moment you've just been a person of many options, God's not mad, but I actually hear the Father saying, I would like to show myself strong on your behalf. What greater opportunity? So, I got a couple words of knowledge and I'm just going to pray over the house. Is that okay? And if you have any of those things, you can just start praying right now where you're at. You can come to the altar. That's fine. But for too long, the church has been unresponsive to God and because of it, we're unresponsive to the needs of the world. So if that's you, just go in and pray over that i seen somebody, I don't know what it is, I think you have pain, something doesn't work correctly in your stomach, it's, it's, it's painful, it's, it's just, it may, I think it comes and goes. Though. Digestive system, is that somebody in here that's just got a problem with that? Anything digestive system in their stomach pain? One, is that it? i actually seen it in that row, that's crazy. Uh but I feel like it is totally tied to shame over one situation. I think it's back there a ways. I seen it, I seen the Holy Spirit open it up and there was a little black speck. It was so small, it's not real big and obvious, but it's actually the source of the pain. Uh so Miss Taylor, will you go back here and pray with Miss Kathy? I don't even think it's real obvious to you. It's, it's but it is it is literally a spirit of shame. Over it's very small. When he opened it up and I seen it, it was real small. So just pray that off of her and that pain is gonna go now. Cause God's gonna restore that. Does the number 7256 mean anything? Like the last four of somebody's phone number, address. Is that anybody in here? 7256. Alright. So let's pray over this just want to run with messy, responsive people. The t-shirts will sell like fire. Let's get messy. I've been hanging out with some of these kids, a bunch of these boys. Eli's one of them. If you see Eli? Stand next to him for a minute. There's something on his life. Just stand next to him for a second. It might get on you. They're messy, but they're unbelievably responsive. They can't hardly stand themselves. They're so aware of His presence and responsive to it. It provokes me every day. It's created a new level of repentance in my life to be that responsive, to just boom, react. Father, I thank You for Your presence in this house. I thank you, Father, that we're removing options. We're removing plan B's, plan C's. Satan, hear us. You can come with whatever you want. We won't bow. We're not going to change our stance on healing. We're not going to change our stance on faith. We're not going to change our stance on the things of this nation, on COVID, on what we believe that you've said to us in the Word of God. We will not change our stance. And, Father, I thank you for the grace to do that. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for Jesus. You're in us. I love you so much. And Father, anyone that's just been harboring unbelief, that has literally made them unresponsive to your presence, heal that right now. Expose that that, that repentance may come and you be glorified. We love you so much, Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.